Welcome, everyone, to our Every Other Thursday podcast, where we cover the wide world of food service and hospitality. Our hosts cover both the relevant news of the moment and we invite key industry experts in for conversations that are informative, enlightening, and entertaining. Every Other Thursday is an approximately 40 to 50 minute conversation presented bi weekly by Tabletop Journal. Now, here's your host of Every Other Thursday, Dave Turner. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to our Every Other Thursday podcast. This is episode, by the way, number 33 of Every Other Thursday, and it's being recorded on the week of February 18th, 2021. I'm Dave. I'm your host here at Every Other Thursday, and I usually am here with both my colleagues, but today I've got just Greg Kirish with me. Jay Alley is on assignment. Greg, how are you doing today? Great. Trying to uh, weather the uh, climate here in Chicago. Uh, sub-zero snow. We finally got back into nor- normalcy. We, I thought we could get away with a, with a mild winter here. Well, the good news is we're past the halfway point in the month of February, and March 20th is the first day of spring. Looking forward to it. That's that's like 30, uh, 30-ish days away. My math isn't very good, but it's, like, it's only a month away. Spring is here, almost. So, hey, listen, we've got another fascinating guest this week. And why don't you tell, you're the one who sort of uh, discovered this gentleman. Why, Greg, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about Greg Traverso? Well, Greg is a Renaissance man. He's been traveling through Africa since 1993 when he went over there backpacking and canoeing across Africa. We'll let him tell you more about all those trips, but he's been back and forth, I think if I got this correct, at least 25 times. He runs a, uh, a safari, a journey trip over there that is in many ways transformative for everybody involved. I got to tell you, I, w- I went to his website and, and we'll give the website during the podcast multiple times, but I just was blown away by the website from Matamo Travel. And uh, I'm sure it's going to be one of our most interesting uh, episodes that we've had. But first, we need to get some business out of the way. And as always, this week's episode of Every Other Thursday is brought to you by Tabletop Journal. Tabletop Journal is where we celebrate the products, the people, and the places. And this time, we're going to Africa, boys and girls. We're going to Africa. We celebrate the products, the people, and the places in the world of hospitality tabletop. Now, with all of that out of the way, uh, let's get this safari started, and let's get Greg Traverso from Matamo Travel on the podcast. And everybody give a warm every other Thursday welcome to Greg Traverso. Greg, am I saying that last name right, Traverso? Actually, you said it with some Italian flair, so yes, you, oh, you said it well. that's my That's my New England Italian flair, by the way. <laughs> that was good. Well... Great to have you on board, and I can't wait because this is one of the most going to be one of the most interesting episodes I think that we've ever done here on Every Other Thursday. It's great to be here. I really appreciate uh, you inviting me. And with that, Greg, can you start out by telling us a little bit about yourself and a little bit about your company? Yes, for sure. I um, in 1993 I crossed Africa by myself, except for a period of time that my wife, who wasn't my wife at the time, but our relationship actually started there on the continent. And I uh, have set out to cross Africa from one ocean to the other, basically. It took me seven months to accomplish my goal. And it was very much on a budget, very much uh, backpacking, you know, riding on trucks, hitchhiking. Wait, Wait a second, Greg. You walked across Africa? 
a, a lot of walking, a lot. Of, I was in a canoe for about 500 miles down. Oh, down, sure. You got to have a canoe 500 miles. Jeez. Down, down the Congo, which was a, the most isolating part of my trip. It was a, that, that section was 51 days without coming across anybody that spoke English or didn't see electricity, any bath, wow, any shower. I took was actually a bucket bath, you know, and so, yeah, yeah. and I got, got malaria. I, you know, lost 50 pounds over that seven, seven months. So it was a very much a hardcore adventure and a, and a fun one to, you know, like so many stories. So I'll quit. But just to say that was my start really with sub-Saharan Africa that led to down the road of Matama, which is the name of the company, my, my safari company, travel company. So how old were you when you did this? I think I turned 31 on, on that particular trip. Wow. Been back many, many times since, but that was kind of the root of, of my travel experiences. So Matamo is very much different than that because people don't have that kind of time. So, you know, we're a luxury outfit, you know, we're high end. It's adventure, it's authentic, but we have a, an amazing program, I think, for anyone looking for but kind of transformational travel, but really just adventure and refined experiences where they don't have to worry about a thing and can be completely cut off from, you know, the cares of the world and have everything taken care of for you. So we're very much, you know, the hospitality and is, is paramount to everything we do and, and taking care of things so people can decompress and really enjoy the moment and be with their family and friends and in a close, intimate, like, relationship under the big sky with <laughs> wild animals and now do you make your do you make all your guests who come on on your trips do you make them detox for about two weeks from uh, all the digital world you have to put your cell phones away for a couple of weeks before you come over and visit them that's an interesting question because we we really we're talking about even having a program like that because that's that's kind of a big thing with millennials and for anybody really but what happens is it's a natural progression when you get there you just put your phone away and when you're out on safari, yeah, you could have hotspot and, and we could arrange to have internet, but who wants, right? You're, you're out there taking photographs of animals. You're, you're waiting yeah. for yeah, the sea what that lion's going to do. You, you, you develop kind of that different sense of maybe you just remember, like you go back to your roots more uh, of being out in nature and what that, what that means. So yeah, you know, people can check their emails and download some photographs and, do some Instagram posting, but it's it, it plays a, a much smaller part than than certainly we we think about what we how we uh, perceive things here. Well, with the cold slap of reality, how has your business been during the, during the pandemic? Well, it's been completely shut down, and with the, re, the with the Matamo rebrand and everything started in March. So, this has been a time of of the rebrand of, of building the foundation. We have our crew in Africa that I've been working with for years that they're hurting, you know, so we've been keeping them going. And we can talk about that. But this, uh, when people are hand to mouth, uh, it's much more difficult than for us where, you know, we can't go out and have a meal with our friends and family. But the situation in, in East Africa, and that's where the Matamo operation is headquartered in Nairobi, people are really suffering. It's really hard. I read a statistic, uh, something like 12,000 people a, a month have lost their jobs in the uh, tourism industry. 
Yeah, it's a tough, it, 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 whether you're uh, in, in the business that you're in or any kind of experiential kind of thing, um, cruise ship business just decimated. And it's really been tough. And and safety, obviously, is going to be the first thing. We've talked about that in a lot of episodes. Virtually every episode that we do, which involves hospitality, tourism, travel, it's a tough grind right now. What kind of feedback are you getting? Um, you know, people are keep on predicting the uh, roaring 20s in the hospitality industry where people are going to be jumping in with both feet, making up for lost time, celebrating life. Do you have people queued up for, for trips? Or what kind of feedback are you getting looking forward? Yeah, I have quite a few people, families that are, you know, have told me they're, they're, they want to go as soon as they feel comfortable and safe and, and, and ready, ready to go. Some are talking 2022, some are, you know, teetering around 2021 summer, but just waiting for vaccines and just psychologically kind of waiting for that. And so, yeah, there, there's, there's lots of obviously pent up interest and, you know, we're a high end brand. So there's a lot of people when they think about getting away and, and they look at the kind of lodging we have and the kind of care that's, you know, when they understand that they're just, they're hankering to get there. So it's just a matter of time. Yeah, Greg, uh, can you give your uh, your website address right now too? Because we'll give it again at the end at the end of uh, the podcast. But give it it now, because so, I want people to go there. Because you'll get blown. People, when you see this Greg's website of Matamo, it'll blow you away. It's really well done. Thank you, Dave. Yes, it's Matamo, and that's spelled M-E-T-A-M-O. Matamo dot travel. You know, it, it looks like uh, if anybody's ever dreamt of going to uh, a faraway place and maybe Africa, uh, I'll tell you the the imagery and the the content that's on uh, on Greg's website is just phenomenal. You, you'll definitely uh, uh, want to go after seeing his site. But well, speaking of uh, people traveling and making plans, how often do people generally in that business, how often, how far out do they plan usually? Is, is, it, is it six months? Is it a year? Or am, I, am I planning for several years to, to come and uh, go on one of your trips? Well, people with Africa, I've found, you know, been thinking about their whole lives oftentimes, and they start to really get serious a year out. And typically, you know, by six months out there, they're pretty much committed and you know, have made yeah. a deposit and, yeah. but that yeah. also, I've, I've also had clients come to me a month before they, and all of a sudden something opens up for them. And so, you know, we've, we've had to make that happen. One thing we don't do is arrange airfare. We, you know, advise on that, but they have to get there. And that's a real critical piece to match. So it matches the itinerary. Sure. But once they land and even really beforehand, because everything else we, we have in a pre-trip adventure packet that they get and, Yep. You know, some special surprise items. and But once they, the moment they touch down, they don't have to do a thing. And I think that's kind of one of the most inspirational things even for me is just how people just kind of beam and, and how excited they are and how like blown away by not having to worry about a thing. Because on a trip like this, oftentimes they're type A business leaders, you know, professionals, and they're used to doing everything. They're used to taking care of, of and planning, and they kind of always have to do that uh, in their lives. And they get there, and all of a sudden, they're, they're not having to worry about anything. And it's just so it's so rewarding to, to, to watch the looks on their faces. When they land, they put themselves right in your hands, and that's it. That's it. Well, that, yeah. Which wow. is, which is a, a very, you know, a keystone 
of hospitality. What people are saying now is that they really miss going point, to Greg. restaurants. And why do they miss going to restaurants? They want somebody to serve them. They want somebody to cook for them in a good sort of way. So I can see that on a macro scale. Yeah, sure. That's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. We had a guest on um, Eileen Garcia in a restaurateur in Chicago. She's got two restaurants. And you talk about exuding hospitality. She's not selling food or drinks to people. She's taking care of people. And it sounds like you do the very same thing, but in a faraway land where everything is foreign to people. The food is foreign. The the uh, the visuals are foreign. Where do I? You, know, you just take care of people. It sounds like. Well, what what happens to people is oftentimes they think, oh, for all the reasons we take vacations, right, to get away, do something different, live our dreams, and you know, see the wild animals. But inevitably, and almost always, what you hear when people come back are it's all about the people. They're just blown away by the people, and, and hospitality like runs through their veins and people in the industry, they rely on it. Each person in the hospitality industry and in the tourism industry in East Africa supports seven family members generally. Yeah. Yeah. So their lifeblood is, is that, but you can't teach, I don't think anyways, hospitality so much as you, you know, so they find the right people that are in that industry that work in these lodges. And it's, it's a feeling that, has a soul. It's it's something that that when you first get out, you first arrive. The way they invite you and anticipate your needs. I, I honestly have never been anywhere else where it's like that. I, I they have this uncanny ability to just be there at the right time, anticipate your needs, be away when you don't when you want your privacy. Yeah to bring you that cup of coffee in the morning just when you want it. I, it's spectacular, and it's sincere and genuine. And from everything from getting sung to when you, you get back on from safari, having that pawpaw juice ready to go, and a, a warm rag or even a cold rag, but, you know, sanitized but ready to wipe the dust off your face after a, yeah. a morning safari or whatever. So, and then... It sounds like the holy grail of hospitality. Uh, I think it, I really do believe it. I've never, I've been around the world, but I've never experienced it. Even for myself, I, I, I'm flabbergasted by it all the time. And I'm not just saying that. I just, it's so genuine and, and something that we, you mentioned your last guest on your podcast. I saw that, that podcast and, and I, I've been listening to a couple of your podcasts and and you still chose to come on with us? That's oh, great. Yeah. No, That's I, amazing. No, it, it actually got me looking into the whole concept of hospitality more. Yeah. So you actually taught me a lot as I started thinking about this podcast. Yeah. Hospitality is boiled down to its simplest form as good people serving other good people. Or as uh, Horst Schulze from Ritz-Carlton would say, ladies and gentlemen serving ladies and gentlemen. It takes special people to do it, and especially to do it in far-flung places and that you're imagining. Why don't you tell our listeners a little bit, Greg, about some of the destinations that you go to so they have get an idea where they could go if they chose to uh, come to Matamo and take a trip with you. Hey, great. We have eight set itineraries. And so right now we have a this, through 2021, this special upgrade that uh, anybody that signs up gets upgraded to this private journeys. Uh, we call all of our trips journeys. So that means your family, a couple, 
group of family friends will be together in these uh, vehicles and then, you know, of course, in, in the transfers. And we, we typically go to the major uh, safari parks in East Africa. We also go to the coast, to Lamu, which is a kind of an exotic island uh, on the Indian Ocean. It's actually closer up by Somalia, but uh, it's a Swahili town. It's the oldest in Kenya. It's a 700-year-old uh, settlement town, uh, no, wow. no cars. We also go to Zanzibar kind of as an option after a trip for an extension. We also have a gorilla trek in Rwanda. But other than that, our, our main safari parks are you know based on the Serengeti, which is the Serengeti National Park in Tanzania. And then that's like the tip of the iceberg that f overflows into the Serengeti plains that overflow into Kenya is the Maasai Mara. So a uh, main feature is the migration, depending on the time of year you go, the great migration of 1.5 million wildebeest and zebra and accompanying antelope and predators that follow the herds. So all of our itineraries will end up in one of those two places at some point. And we also go to some, some other more remote parks. And of course, then we have our custom tours. So we can do anything from, you know, helicopter ride up to Lake Turkana or going to see the mountain gorillas in the Congo. We can make anything happen. And, but our main itineraries are based on usually three safari parks. And then we have some offshoot ones where a little more walking uh, is involved. And then uh, one in particular with more cultural aspects to it that gets a little bit off the beaten track more than usual. So they're all on our website. And uh, I'm also always happy to talk to people sure. uh, about it to find out you know, what they're most interested in. But And who's your typical traveler? Or is there a typical traveler? The typical traveler is going to be educated, affluent professionals in, in, in general. That's going to be the you know, affluence is, is relative. I mean, there might be also people, plenty of people that have gone with us that have saved for a number of years and have made it happen. And we can customize tours so we can work within uh, most all budgets as well. Wow. What do you think is the major enticement to go? Is it just the the remoteness of it, this far away, this place I've never been? Used a great word early on called transformational. Why is going to Africa so transformational, do you think? I think that gets to the core of what's brought me back there 20, 25 times on different groups, bringing groups. There's something about Africa that is indescribable that stays with you, not for everybody, obviously. I do think it's that wide open space. It's the animals, but ultimately it's the people. They have a lot to teach us. And I do believe that, that travel has the ability to give us that new perspective. And for a lot of people that are leaders and business leaders, which tend to be a lot of our clients uh, in the past. That's your type A people you were mentioned earlier. Yeah, you know, you have a vision in a company. So when all of a sudden you can completely remove yourself from that and you're thinking forward to your own life's vision, whatever that might mean or your work, that, that tends to grow that. It tends to push boundaries. And I know that when people come home, they're just, they, they say it's the greatest trip they ever had. I mean, oftentimes I hear that. I think that there's something to be said by the contrast of experience 
that one has in Africa. And there are, you obviously see poverty. There's also the ability to help people. And I think people are, don't expect the interactions they have with the people. And also, you know, we have a philanthropic side. So there's a transformational aspect to someone that comes with us because they put a kid through school for a year. And this is not just a kid that, you know, Mm -hmm. these are kids that for the most part, most likely would never have had that opportunity to go to school. It's out of reach for so many children. And when you're brought up in that kind of grind you into dust poverty, where not even having that meal to give you the energy to go to school, that meal that, that you need just, even if you wanted or had the means to go to school to be able to afford the school uniform, that's out of reach for so many people, so many children. So we're able to do that through uh, some my own nonprofit work in, in Africa. So would, would you say that the, it's transformational both ways? Yes, and that's a, a idea that really fascinates me. I think it is even three ways because I think the people that you have conversations with, and well, that's it's the human experience. It's it's real. You could go down the street to your neighborhood store and have a transformational experience. It happens where you have a breakthrough in the way of thinking. I think when you go that far away and you're you're set up in a way that you don't have to worry about anything and you can just enjoy and soak it up, I think that naturally leads to that transformational experience. And to your point, I think it is not a one-way street. I think it does involve, you know, the totality of of the experience, which is the people. See, what I what I really love about this conversation is that you're taking really uh, educated type A type people who are always in control and you're taking the control right away from them and they're allowing you to do it. And they're putting themselves in your hand because you got them. You got them in Africa, for God's sake. I mean, <laughs> how cool is that? And and they, where are they going to go? You know, it's not like they can call up somebody and, and come pick them up and say, get off this, uh, this journey I'm on. Uh, so you got them. And I think that's that's maybe for certainly for a lot of people, that may be one of the few times in their lives where they haven't been in control. Mm-hmm. I've had people tell me that. Yeah. I had this one group that I took, and these were, you know, CEOs of international companies. It was a, yeah. uh, they had uh, one guy that's a, a he's a, a major music producer. Another guy runs this company. He's actually a, a, a friend of mine that came. He's, we're having dinner with him tonight, one of our few times going out to dinner during this whole time period. But sure. he does uh, work around the world, and he, he travels everywhere. He was so blown away on that trip because, he never has had that experience before. So anyways, it is a, it's an important aspect. I love it. It's that part of being able to be on the side of, of helping people live their dreams and enjoying themselves and seeing the smiles on their faces. And when they return, they, that's all they want to talk about. You know, it's, it's great. It's awesome. Well, this is great. We're going to take a break here right now. We're with Greg Traverso from Matamo Travel, and we're talking Africa today, folks. We're talking transformational experiences, too. That's great. I love that. And we'll be right back with more. Greg, before we take the break, can you give the, the website one more time so people can go to it? We'll do it again at the end of the, end of the episode as well. Yes, it's matamo.travel, and matamo is M-E-T-A-M-O. It's the first half of the word metamorphosis, so matamo. Dot travel. 
Wow. And let me tell you, folks, before you go, it is a phenomenal website. The imagery, you're going you're gonna to start saving your money right as soon as you go to Greg's website. So we'll be right back with more uh, from Matamos, Greg Traverso. Right back at you. This episode of Every Other Thursday is brought to you by TabletopJournal.com. For more than nine years now, Tabletop Journal has been covering the food service and hospitality industry, all the while raising the awareness of just how important Tabletop is to the overall guest dining experience. If you haven't signed up for Tabletop Journal's bi-monthly newsletter, it's simple and easy, and it's free. Simply go to tabletopjournalnewsletter.com. Now, back to our podcast. Okay, here we are with Greg Traverso of Matamo. It's just been fascinating talking with you, Greg, about these trips to Africa and how transformative they are and exotic and, and, the, and the adventure. Well, me being me, now I'd like to talk about the food. <laughs> and, yeah, let's get into that food. And I had a professor, I remember in college, that was this bon vivant around the world, and he said, no matter where you go, no matter what, how bad the weather is, no matter what problems you have, it's always a great trip if the food is good. And I would imagine that food is an important aspect of your trips, your journeys. We'd like to talk just a little bit about that. You know, how is the food specified? How do you get it there? How does it how does it serve? Just a couple of the nitty-gritties because you know, I hear about people going and I haven't been on one of these uh, rafting trips down the Colorado River and then you have these camp trips fly fishing trips up to Canada, and everybody comes back when you talk about these trips. They always say, oh, and the food was fantastic. You know, is that the kind of thing that we can expect from Matamo, or I'll I'll let you run with it a little bit. Oh, absolutely. The food's always a huge part, obviously, of of the happiness of the clientele, and and really the lodges, you know, they compete with each other not only on the hospitality side, but every part of it. And food is, is so critical to that. And these are remote camps and lodges, you know, sometimes deep in the Serengeti, Masai Mara, and Kenya. And so the food is trucked in. If all of a sudden somebody wanted a case of champagne or, you know, for a large group or something, it, it could be flown in. So you can have anything flown in generally, but most of it's trucked in. And there's really two type of meals that you would have. There's one is the plate service, which is more common in the smaller lodges, smaller boutique, deluxe tented camps and, and, and lodges. And then the other style is buffet. And, you know, the buffet in the larger lodges would consist of maybe 10 or 12 different options, cheese plates and meats and lots of uh, local dishes, lots of connection to South Asia. So you would have South Asian option as well, almost inevitably in all the buffets across East Africa. Yeah. So most of it's trucked in and uh, it's delicious. It's varied. It's based on the British kind of colonial, you know, model. There's nothing really exotic about it in, in terms of the food offerings for the main dishes. It's very creative. The chefs are highly trained. You know, they've worked their way up through the ranks and, and they are very proud in, of their cuisine. And so I could talk about the, the various examples. Then you have your breakfast, lunch, and dinner. So it depends. And, and the lunches are oftentimes in the bush, right? So you take that with you. And that would be the more kind of surprising nature of, of it is the kind of picnic lunch 
kind of the old British model of that where, you know, all of a sudden you just find a tree and you got to make sure there's no big cats around. But, but Wait a know. second. I don't, let me stop you. What is a big cat? What, what kind of cats am I looking for? Well, we're looking for lions. We're looking oh. for uh, leopard, cheetahs. Those are the, you know, the main big cats. And so, yeah, the, the drivers and guys, they all know the, the best possible spots. Usually where you have a nice view, shorter grass, obviously, around you. And then you would set up a picnic table all of a sudden, and a tablecloth, and they have these wonderful containers that, you know, not a lot of waste in these containers that, you know, they have everything obviously prepared well in advance. And, yeah, you, you're served uh, out there, and there's always the surprises. And, and the vehicles are stocked with, you know, beers and sometimes, you know, cocktails and wine, if it's depending on preference. So on these are type type of safaris. See, if I'm sitting out there having a cocktail in the what you call the savannah or the, the plains area, whatever, I'm not sure if if I want to see a lion or I don't want to see a lion. Or maybe you see a lion regardless of whether there's one there or not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. If, if I'm having a, I'm a couple cocktails in, I don't know. Do I want to really see a lion at that point? I do, but there's a part of me that says, yeah. I don't know. Well, you want to see you want to see the animals when you're inside, but you know they're they're open roofed. So when yeah. you're driving around, and sometimes we, you know, some of the vehicles we use are, you know, they don't even have sides. So and occasionally get that stare down from a big cat or uh, you know an elephant, maybe possibly thinking about charging you. There's all kinds of there's it's an exhilarating. But the reality of it is, is when they when everybody comes back on this transformational journey that you take them on, Greg, they want to tell that story about they were sitting around and all of a sudden we were we had a lion approach us. You know that well, once they're back to the states or whatever, it's safe. If they come yeah. back, no, just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If the lion, but, if the lion doesn't get them right, yeah. oh man, that lion was huge. Yeah, I mean it's on everybody's list, and no matter, yeah. it's just a, some glorious moments when you see your first lion in the wild or even, you know, to see first you know, impala or, and, and a giraffe always makes a big impact seeing the giraffe and everybody has their, their favorite animals. But when it comes down I, to the I'm cats. I'm just going to say that. What, what is the, everybody's favorite animal, do you think? A most, what's the most popular one? Lion. Lion. Giraffe. If you wanted to see one animal in Africa, Greg, one, what would you want to see? I guess a lion or an elephant. No, no, no. See, see, mine is the zebra. There you go. The zebra's got to be the wackiest animal ever for me. I don't know why God made zebras. They just have these crazy stripes. Or now that I think about it, a rhinoceros. Because oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's another one, too. Becoming so rare, you know. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. If you had to go to one place in Africa, I didn't mention this before, but there's a, there's a place called Ngorogoro Crater, and it's in Tanzania. Every one of our trips in Tanzania goes to it. We spend two days there. You actually camp in a lodge or a, a tenant camp. I've actually just camped up there as well. But And you look down 1,900 feet to this a collapsed volcano. So it's a caldera. Oh, sure. It's a large, it's a collapsed volcano. Largest in the world. Down on that floor with a, 100 square miles, you know, circular. Yeah. You, you look down, you see these little spots, you know, like looks like ants and they're herds of wildebeest and Cape Buffalo. But in the morning, we try to be the first or one of the first vehicles down at that crater. You see just about every East African animal you can imagine. You wow. can even see the big five down there. It's one of the places you can see rhino. So that, that tends to be the animal. What are the big five? The Cape Buffalo, the elephant, the lion, the leopard, and the rhino. 
Amazing. Amazing. Now, you mentioned something that triggered a question for me. They said, you want to be the first one. Are there lots of other tours going on down there? I mean, am I going to bump? Is this like going on these cruises to Alaska where they're all in the... My guess is that there really isn't a lot of people out there. We wouldn't see any other people, would we? Yeah, you would. Depending on the time of the year, people that really have an aversion to that, then I would suggest that, you know, the off season or even a shoulder season... June's a, is a good month. It's a lower uh, tourist season. The weather's yep. one of the second coolest months, and uh, prices are a little lower as well. But yeah, what happens is the drivers radio each other. So if there's a you know leopard sighting in a tree, you're going to see vehicles heading that way eventually. But oftentimes you're the only one because you're the first one to see it. My partner in Tanzania and lead guide doesn't use a radio, so he uses instinct and and all his decades of experience and so forth in his vehicle. But it's a little bit of a faux pas in the whole thing because you're in nature. You, it's nice to be alone. But we've had plenty of experiences where we're the only one. And oftentimes what that means is having the patience. So these vehicles will hear about each other. And sometimes you have three, four, five, six vehicles, say, for example, and they're watching a lion that's just sleeping there or just doing not because they don't do much during the daytime oftentimes and then you'll see some other animals kind of watching the lion you might just sit there for a while eventually everybody's going to leave and it's usually in those moments when the greatest things happen when you've had the patience to wait i can think of you know countless examples where because we waited we saw some of the coolest things i've ever seen in on safari wow that's amazing our listeners are constantly looking for the next big thing and, you know, what's around the corner. And because the American guests are so fickle and more sophisticated and adventurous with the cuisines and food, are people there on your, on your trips, are they uh, interested in the local cuisine? Is it, is it part of the trip? Are they bringing those ideas back home? I've had clients tell me they've made the Ugali when they got home. And the Ugali is like the staple of sub-Saharan Africa, East Africa. Ugali is kind of a cornmeal, kind of sticky. Sometimes it's mixed with plantains or, or cassava. But it's what people in this part of the world eat as their you know main source of... It's a of, staple. Sta- it is yeah. the staple of East Africa. Yeah. So you'll always see that in most you know buffets and they might even serve it as a as an option on a in a plated service, but you know the foods are you know sumawiki. Uh, there's all kinds of flavorful uh, local things that you can try, and so it's interesting to to try it. But yeah, I, I've often wondered that, Greg. Uh, too is is that South Africa in particular has some phenomenal wines, and they don't seem to get much traction here in the states. Maybe it's just because yeah. they're, they're crowded off shelves and all that. It does give it a lot of play, but. Generally, where there's good wines, there's always good food following it, too. And that food and beverage experience is really, I'm surprised that Africa in general hasn't taken off more. And maybe as somebody who has these private journeys, maybe you don't want, you want it to be a little bit secluded and a little bit more remote. But but I think, I, I really don't know why Africa hasn't taken off more as a tourism and then a destination place. Maybe just a, it's far away from everything, I guess. Yeah, well... Certainly, it's been up and down during the ge- geopolitics, things that have happened over the yeah, years. You yeah, know, too. so you have a lot of lot of variables, the distance, the expense. But as far as the wine, so the, you know, all of the camps and lodges, and I should say when I say camps, I mean like these are 
know, there's different levels of, of mm-hmm. tenant accounts, but this is like the finest, you know, like the lodges are, are, are wonderful. They tend to be bigger, obviously, but the deluxe tenant camps, these kind of nights under canvas and, you know, these are elaborate. These are, this is some fine stuff and, and sometimes secluded, always secluded to, to some degree, sustainable. They have wonderful gardens these days, even more and more with even greenhouses. Most of all the produce is, is produced on site. Yeah, The fruits are are brought in the mangoes and papayas and watermelon and pineapple. But every time I've ever seen Africa advertised, come to Africa, whatever, the ads always end up including food and beverage, showing people sitting around eating and whatever, enjoying it. That whole experiential thing that you're you're offering with Matamo is just phenomenal in the day, but also at night. And I'm not sure if I'd want to go in a private group. Maybe I'd want to go with different other people so I could make some new friends, too. Does that sure. happen a lot? A lifetime? I mean, you go on this transformational journey uh, to Africa with you, and all of a sudden people coming from disparate parts of the world, and, and now all of a sudden you've got lifelong friends. So are you inviting me, Dave? <laughs> well, I'm hoping Greg's going to give us a little tour at some point. Maybe, you know, I, no, I, I, but I'm serious. You can't go on. I, I get the transformational part of it, but I'm just saying, if I go on a tour and there's eight or 10 other people who I didn't know before, and I'm out in the, in the wilderness of Africa for a week or 10 days or whatever it is with these people, how can you not connect with them? Exactly. We have our classic journeys, which is our main feature, and they have, they yeah. have dates on the schedule and, you know, people... You know, obviously, right now people haven't been signing up, waiting for this to open back up. But we're expecting this pent-up demand to start yeah. to roll out adventure. So I would be remiss if I didn't drill way down for our audience. So uh, for these cuisines that you mentioned, you know, when I think of tabletop items, which is our our DNA, is like, you, know, you think about you know Morocco. You think about the tangine vessel that they that they cook and serve with. Maybe a little exotic. You think of Spain. You think of the paella pan that's served. Is there any kind of special utensils or servingware or cookware that's focused on on East Africa in particular? Are we talking just pretty basic pots and pans and dinnerware? Uh, pretty pretty basic. You know, the cooking jiku, which is a, you know, just a, often portable, you know, and then they have more elaborate ones that use those. That's something that's a little different where it's fueled by scrap wood and, you know, maybe some coal supplement, or excuse me, charcoal supplement. Uh, you see those in, in the lodges kind of, um, and in general, it's it's Western wear. It's not very exotic in, in, in that regard. I don't, you know, lots of you know, the buffets and things you're typically used to seeing. Well, and I and I'm not trying to put you on the spot. I'm just I'm really no, curious. Good. <laughs> really curious. And so, you know, if you look at the colonial history, Congo was Belgian, and then East Africa, there's you know the British, and and way back when the Germans. Yes. And then you got the Portuguese farther south, etc. So do you, when you go to those places, do you still feel an influence, at least in the cuisine from those places? Like, would you feel the French influence in the Congo or? Yeah, definitely. So Kenya was obviously British. And so, you know, a lot of the foods in their palate and, you know, the things you find on safari are kind of based on that old, older colonial kind of model. So you find all the foods that 
you know, appeal to the European palate as well as the American. Tanzania is the same, even though the Germans were there for, for a while up till World War One. It's still the English fair. Now, the cultural influence is probably the main aspect is the English, right? So English is, is an official language along with Kiswahili of, of, the, of Kenya and Tanzania. So you hear English all the time. You'll be in a restaurant and you have some, some Kenyan friends over family. They're, they're speaking English if they're a little more educated. So there's 47 tribes. And so each tribe speaks their own language. And then when a tribe talks to another tribe member, they would switch to Kiswahili. So that's the lingua franca. It's spoken by about 100 million people in Africa, mostly East Africa, but extending down from Mozambique all the way up Kenya into Democratic Republic of Congo. And it's the, it's the lingua franca. But English is also you know the other one. So that's one of the nice things is be able to talk to the people so easily. And that beautiful accent. So that that definitely is the, you know, that not, not only the food, but all our American listeners just breathe a sigh of relief yeah. right there. Just to know that they can go over there and they're not going to have a language issue. You know, that language thing is, is, a, is a hurdle for a lot of them. Some of the cultural things you're describing, Greg, are just really phenomenal. Uh, I think everybody definitely needs to go check out your website. I have a quick question. I know that it's not inexpensive to go on one of your journeys. For some people, it may, it's the journey of a lifetime, and you mentioned that before. And where people today spend their money lots of times, they want to make sure that their values line up with where they're spending their money. We, we see it all the time in restaurants. We want to go to a restaurant that we think shares our values, whether it be a sustainability or whatever. Do you find that the philanthropies, uh, and I know that Matamo uh, is involved in, uh, I think, several philanthropies, but tell us about that anyway and how that plays into people's decision to maybe join on one of your journeys. So it's a big part of what we do. It's very important to us, which is that Every client that goes on a Matamo journey puts a child through school for a year. And that's extremely important. And our, you know, our, our vision and, and mission is really to, to give back and, and to make that a big part of, of who we are, what we do. And, and we want those clients that appreciate our opportunities that we have to be able to, to give back and to make a difference in the life of a child, which, you know, especially with girls in Africa, you know, they have that opportunity to have an education is life-changing, uh, transformative in the maximum degree. So yes, that's very important. Also our eco-friendly lodges and they're all practicing best, you know, best practices, not only with, you know, for ecotourism, meaning they all have a stake in making sure that local cultures are taken care of, given employment, hiring out of the, around that region, but also their, you know, kind of best practices of s sustainability. And it's really amazing what they're doing. And this is in the middle of nowhere. And they're, they're, they've created these incredible eco-friendly, just beautiful places that you, you don't even see in the local area. There could be a beautiful tented camp that you would have to get very close to before you can even spot it. So with prime views and you know you're usually on a bluff at times or in a forest or you know or in an area that you, know, you want to protect that area and by the way when you after a nice meal some cocktails or sitting outside by the fire when you want to go back to your 
tent or your 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 room oftentimes you're going to be accompanied by a Maasai warrior or somebody with that has his bow and arrow has his spear and it's not there just for looks oftentimes people think it's there just as a kind of a, a gimmick of some sort but it's completely real I know my son on the last trip we took came out of his tent to go on a very early morning game drive and there were nine giraffes that had come through camp right then you know oftentimes you hear you know lions in the distance growling you know far off but you know it reminds you this is a very much are in the natural world and they really do look after you so and our our listeners they talk about all the issues and challenges they have but uh, these are some that they probably haven't thought about or maybe they have <laughs> and it's definitely not disneyland yeah yeah, yeah it's, it's a real deal so really something to see i think it's just unbelievable what you're doing greg and uh, I, I love the fact that it's so transformational what you're doing both ways people can get the that go on your journeys can have the the trip of a lifetime and be transformed in the getting exposed to such diverse cultures and landscape and wild animals and all that but it also they have an opportunity to change and, and transform the lives of the people that they may encounter along the journey I think that's really, uh, really an important part of, uh, it seems like what Matamo is all about. So I, I applaud you for all that. I think it's really, really good. Is there anything else that, that we can tell our listeners about Matamo Travel? And we're going to give the website in a minute. So if anybody's listening and didn't write it down before, I'd encourage you to do that and definitely check it out. But, but Greg, before we uh, wind up here, is there anything else that we've missed that our listeners should know? Well, first of all, I'm always happy to talk to to people is you know, obviously a passion and, and, and uh, yeah. beyond, beyond this, the business side. So I'm always uh, available to, you know, to communicate with anybody that wants to reach me. I'm easy, easily reached off the website. One of the representatives will put you directly in touch with me. You know, you're based in California, but you've been traveling to Africa for how many years now? Since 1993. So you're an absolute African expert in, in the areas where you, where you take your journeys. That's terrific. The best way to get in touch with you is through the website, right? The website, yeah, or greg at matamo.travel. Uh, you can always email me direct. The website's you know, there. Love the feedback and love to talk about, about the adventure with anyone interested in you know, a transformative, life-changing kind of experience in the African wild and, and uh, enjoy all the, the things that really bring people back at, and uh, People often are hankering to get back once they, they've experienced uh, an African safari. Oh, a question about that. Do, you, do people go multiple trips with you? Do you have a lot of repeat people? I think there's one family they've been four times. Wow. One of them was to climb Kilimanjaro. Just just the gentleman went to uh, climb Kilimanjaro on a, uh, with a group of nine, nine people that we put up to the top. And uh, there was one... One woman with them, a younger gal, that it took her a couple of days to adjust, but she she's wonderful. It's actually a it was a great one of the the best trips we've ever had. That must be a food service story, but we'll save that one to the next time. We speaking of Kilimanjaro, though, we had on our other podcast, which is called Seat Yourself, we had a restaurateur from London, Paolo de Tasso, who climbed Kilimanjaro as a fundraiser. He did it with a group, and it was a fundraising effort they did. See, there's so much going on in that way, and that destination tourism and that that exposing it. I, I just think it's great. This has been a transformational episode for me, Greg. So thank you for your 
time and coming on and joining us on every other Thursday. It's been wonderful having you here. Again, uh, definitely carve out some time, listeners, and go to Matamo.travel, right? Yes. Matamo.travel. Got that right. Greg Wan, do you have anything else you want to add? It's it's fascinating, and uh, I got to think through for, for the next. We'll drill down more, more into the food service scene and the tabletop scene on the, on yeah, the next. I know, next, I know. Next segment, absolutely. Yeah, yeah I, I know. It's great. Listen, thank you for your time again, and everybody, check it out. Greg Traverso from Matamo Travel. Thanks, Greg, for joining us. Thank you so much. This episode of Every Other Thursday has been brought to you by TabletopJournal.com. For more than nine years, Tabletop Journal has been covering the global food service and hospitality industry, all the while raising the awareness of just how important Tabletop is to the overall guest dining experience. TabletopJournal.com, where we celebrate the products, the people, and the places, all in the world of hospitality tabletop. You can learn more about Every Other Thursday by visiting our website, everyotherthursdaypodcast.com. Thanks for joining us today for this episode of Every Other Thursday.